0: Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Will you pray with me? (laughs) Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the many blessings that you pour into our lives We thank you for the gift of worship. And we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now. Fill this place and fill each one of us to overflowing. And Lord, I boldly ask that you would speak through me now that my words would be your words and your grace and your truth would be spoken, heard and received deep in our hearts here today for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know you know this, uh, but in order to get this place and to have this event that we call a Sunday worship service to happen, uh, a whole lot of details need to come together. So there are, of course, uh, all the details on the Cathedral Church side of things, the the readings and the music are selected, the bulletins are designed and printed, the church and parish house are cleaned, the children's area and the nurseries are cleaned, the volunteers are assigned and contacted, the, polished, uh, the, the um, sermon is written, the music is rehearsed, the community utensils are polished and set out, the coffee is made and set out, the lights and the AC are cranked up. The sermon has gone over one last time. The vestments are done. The instruments are tuned. The doors are open and the welcome is offered. Whew. Did I miss anything? There's a few other things. And that ain't nothing. Then there's everything on your end of things. And trust me, I know it's no mean feat to get here on a Sunday, right? You got to set the alarm, you got to get up, you got to get the coffee in your system, you got to get yourself and sometimes some rather immovable others in your household moving and ready. You got to load the car, you got to find a parking place, you got to get the ki- children registered for Cathedral Kids, you got to grab a bulletin, find a pew, and finally you get to sit down. As soon as you sit down, one of the kids. Or maybe one of the adults says, Hey, I got to go to the bathroom. And so you got to get up, you got to go to the bathroom, then you got to come back. And then you finally find your seat. And for those of you who are new here today, you have all of that plus all the added uneasiness of entering a new place amongst new people. So I'm just amazed that I'm not standing up here by myself, quite honestly. (laughs) What an effort. The whole thing is quite an endeavor, I think we would agree. And there are plenty of Sundays when I'm sure we all ask questions like why do we do this? And is this what God really wants from us? And these are our significant questions, they need answering. And if we are going to continue to do this very involved thing we call church and Sunday services, well, I think we can find some answers to these very important questions. And we need to find answers to these important questions about our worship and what it is that the Lord desires in worship in our psalm appointed in the lectionary for today. We're looking at Psalm 50. So, if you would, uh, I know it was in your bulletin, but let's use the, the version of it that's in the, the Bible uh, that you have there in your pew, uh, or if you brought your own Bible, open it to Psalm 50. You can find in the pews on, pew Bibles on page 473. 473, Psalm 50. And in this psalm, I think three things are made clear. one. God does not need our worship. We need it. Two, God looks not on the external but the internal. And three, wrong orientation toward God will result in wickedness toward people. So Psalm 50 is one of the so-called kingly psalms, and this is not referring to King David, but it is actually referring to Yahweh as king, that Yahweh is a king, and this is his kingship being displayed in this psalm. And so this psalm begins in verse 1 with an assertion of God's might and describes him as this great and mighty one, the mighty one, God, the Lord. And then he does this very kingly act And he summons, he summons the whole earth, the king of the cosmos summons the whole earth to a hearing. And in verses 2 and 3, the psalmist writes of a spectacular theophany, a display of God's might and glory, shines forth out of Zion. Zion. And he comes on the scene with great noise and a devouring fire before him. It is quite the scene there in verse 1 through 3. And then in verse 4, God calls to the heavens above and to the earth to come and to serve as a sort of jury as God's people, Israel, are coming before the Lord's kingly judgment seat. And then in verse 5, he summons his covenant people, his faithful ones, as he calls them, to stand in the dock. And the heavens, like the bailiff, they declare God's righteousness as if to say, All oh, rise, the mighty one, the king, God himself, the judge presiding. And then comes God's testimony against his people. And he first addresses in the the first section of this uh, psalm uh, those that the commentator Derek Kidner refers to as the mechanically pious. These are the the very religious who are well-practiced in ritual sacrifice. They do all the religious practices beautifully. They follow all the rubrics to the nth degree. And verse 8, not only do they do the religious acts flawlessly, they do them often. And so the Lord is not rebuking this group of Israelites for the form of their burnt offerings. But he does have something to say about the substance and perhaps the motivation for them. It seems that this group within the covenant people of Israel have mistaken worship as something they are to do because God needs them to do it. They've fallen into the very easy trap of worship being a work that is to be done in order to gain God's favor, or worse, a favor done by the people for a needy and greedy and petty God. But in verses 9 to 13, God makes clear that he has no need for the people's worship and burnt offerings and sacrifices as, as if he hungers for something that he doesn't already possess himself. No, he is the sovereign king to whom all bulls, goats, forest beasts, and the cattle on a thousand hills belongs. But the point that the Lord is making here isn't to spurn their worship just because they insult him by suggesting that he's not the king over everything and who has and needs, has everything and needs nothing, the point is that they've missed the heart of worship. Yes, God is the object of worship, but the real value of worship isn't in what it does for the worshipped one, but for the worshippers. Worship isn't about ritual for God, but relationship with God. How often have I gotten this wrong? It starts with the notion that I owe God something, and then once I've done what I think I owe him, then I start to think he owes me. But what Yahweh calls for here in verse 14 is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This call to thanksgiving here uh, makes clear that God doesn't need our worship. We need it. We need it. We need it because it is the means by which we rehearse and remember and rejoice in and give thanks for what God, the Most High, the Mighty One, has done with His might. Worship is not our gift to God. It is His gift to us. A sacrifice of thanksgiving rather than a sacrifice of transaction will do a work in the worshiper and keep his or her mind and heart fixed on God and Kinder writes that it serves to present God in his right manner. We we see him as he really is. He is the great provider, he is the great deliverer. And it thus motivates not pomp and ceremony necessarily, but love and gratitude and trust. Ongoing trust. The Lord says in verse 15 to those who will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That they can continue to trust in his his might even when they face the trying days of trouble. He says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You give thanks again. You see, when we fall into the sacrifice of transaction rather than thanksgiving, the troubles that we face well, then can be viewed as retribution from a cursing God or neglect from an indifferent God. Or worship then can become a sort of bargaining chip, right? Lord, get me out of this trouble, and I'll believe in you more. I'll worship you more. But if it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving that's offered, well, that recognizes God's prevenient works of salvation And blessing, and out of that heart of gratitude will come and will grow faith that the mighty one is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the heart of the worshiper will grow in depth and fervency of faith and thanksgiving. Charles Spurgeon wrote about how uh, even the days of trouble and hardship then can become good and useful as a means of transformation, as a means of placing us in that posture of sacrifice of thanksgiving. It does this transformation in the inner worshiper uh, when our worship is sacrifice of thanksgiving. He, He wrote this, he said, we must be tried that the Lord may be glorified. We cannot call upon Him in the day of trouble if we have no such day, and He cannot deliver us if we have no trouble to be delivered from, and we cannot glorify Him if we are not made to see the danger and the need in which He displays His love. A sacrifice of thanksgiving works on the inside, on the internal, the heart, and issues from the internal. And it is the internal rather than the external where God looks. Because that's where he will find faith, hope, and love. This is the second thing that's made clear in Psalm 50. God looks not on the external, but on the internal. And this is not to say that the externals don't matter. They don't have a place in worship. They do, right? We're physical beings and we manifest that which is on the inside, by what we do on the outside. And so doing this work and being here today is great and good, and God does love this. He is enamored with us and, 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 and loves for us to bring worship. But the externals must be an outworking of the internals. God says in verse 8 that he has no problem with the Israelites' external sacrifices and their burnt offerings except for the fact that they aren't an outworking of an internal sacrifice of thanksgiving. They're just mechanical piety that God doesn't need and that does nothing for the mechanically pious. And this has implications not only for the relationship between humanity and God, but it it can and often does lead to a breakdown in human-to-human relationships. In verses 16 and following, the Lord turns his attention to those he calls the wicked. So the latter part of this psalm, 16 to the end, uh, to at least verse 22, is focused on the wicked. These are the hardened hypocrites, Who say the words of covenant, but then cast those same words behind them like so much rubbish, as if they're nothing. And when there is no honor towards God and his words, then there's no honor for one's fellow man. Wicked and deceitful and fleshly behaviors and slanderous words are spoken even about one's brother. There's no decency or care for others because the only one who is worshipped is oneself. And when oneself is the object of our worship, well, then injustice will grow and grow. And that's the third thing made clear in Psalm 50. It's clear the wrong orientation toward God results in wickedness towards people. And what's also clear in this psalm is that God will have none of it. Remember that this psalm is a kingly psalm where the God God is the king and he sits in judgment over his people who have such corrupted worship. He will rebuke. He will tear this kind of worship apart. The the psalm ends with this beautiful verse, verse 23. And it's a, a verse that is an amazing gift of blessed assurance of what God will do with those who worship him with offerings of sacrifices of thanksgiving. He will show them his salvation. In other words, he will galvanize their hearts of thanksgiving with an assurance of salvation. And won't that not only transform one's orientation toward God, won't it also change one's orientation towards other people? Won't that right ordering of one's life in God rightly order one's life in the world amongst one's neighbors, especially those who are victims of the wicked? That's what a blessed assurance of salvation does. This kind of just neighborliness comes as a result of our recognition of just how gracious and just God has been towards us. Just think of how our Eucharistic prayer that we pray every Sunday goes, right? Eucharist is this word that means Thanksgiving. It's kind of our word that this is what we're doing. We're doing a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We remember in this service all the ways the Lord has been faithful as our provider and deliverer as he doesn't require a blood sacrifice because he is the blood sacrifice. He has offered himself for our salvation. That work of redemption as Jesus says upon the cross, it's finished. There is no work we can add to that. We can, though, make a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And so we say, we celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. We receive with gratitude the God who himself... Gives himself to us in his body and blood. And as we offer our sacrifice of thanksgiving and are in right orientation, relationship with God, with blessed assurance of our salvation. We are transformed to be those who love and serve God by loving and serving our neighbors as witnesses of God's perfect and prevenient love for us. We love because he first loved us. And so we pray at the end of communion in our post-communion prayer, Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries, that we are living members of the body of your Son. We're saved. We are heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you've given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. So, why do we do this? Well, my prayer is, is it's because of what he's already done. We do this because he did that. And what we bring is simply a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Amen.